You're listening to PTC Point of View, brought to you by Preferred Trust Company, the preferred custodian for all alternative investments. We're here to provide retirement savers like you with the tools you need to succeed. Need a confidence boost when it comes to investing outside of the stock market? Do you want the power to build a tax-sheltered nest egg that will last through your golden years? You've come to the right place. Turn up your speakers and turn off cruise control because we're taking you on the alternate route to investing with your IRA. Welcome back to PTC Point of View, a retirement podcast by Preferred Trust. Today, we have Carrie Cook interviewing Seif, who is the CEO and founder of TechVestor. Welcome. So if you don't mind, um, why don't you give us a little bit of background about TechVestor and also yourself? How did you get into uh, the alternative space? Yeah, so I'm Seif. I'm, I'm the CEO and co-founder over at TechVestor. And what we do is we make investing in Airbnbs dead simple, passive, right? Uh, for those who want to get into the industry but don't want to do all the work, they don't want to deal with toilets, they don't want to deal with guests. Um, so we're structured as what we like to call a fund or a syndication. Uh, our investors are limited partners. They share in a diversified portfolio of assets across the country. Um, and we do all the grunt work, right? Finding, designing, furnishing, operating, managing, and you know, they get kind of awesome returns. Uh, whether they're investing with cash or self-directed IRA or those types of things. Um, TechFester was started in 2021, and it was after a lot of pain I personally had with finding Airbnbs to invest in. So I came from a tech background. I spent five years at Facebook building and growing teams. And one thing that I was privileged enough to be in a position of is a tax problem, right? I lived in California. had too little too much money, you know, single at the time, you know, just living life and couldn't spend it all. And, you know, worked hard for that money and I wanted to protect it just like many of us do. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at where, where I can go get some tax benefits. And I stumbled across short-term rentals or short-term rental loopholes, they call it. Those are all those other things. Yeah. And I wanted to buy some Airbnbs, but I didn't know where to buy them. I didn't know what properties made sense. I didn't know what made a good Airbnb. And there wasn't a lot of data in the industry that would actually help me understand that. And for me, I wanted to buy about eight of them, right? It could be something I could retire on, you know, financial freedom, all those types of things. And uh, we built software as a starting point because I needed to solve it for myself. How can I go underwrite properties at you know lightning speed in 2021 when yeah. real estate was like in fuego, right? You know, you couldn't mm-hmm. get to it in time. Um, and anyway, we started as a software product and you know, built it for ourselves, found that other people wanted to use the software product, but then they would leave us after they bought a property because they don't <laughs> need it anymore. Of course, yeah. Um, and churn and software is you know, not, not a great thing to go together. And um, we moved over to a managed service where we kind of did the work for you on an individual one-to-one basis. Like we'll help you find an Airbnb. And that worked for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we realized that the pain point wasn't the finding for the average consumer. It was the operating. And so we transitioned into a syndication. And within 30 days, we raised $7 million. And we're like, ah, product market fit, as we like yeah. to call it, right? Like we, we addressed the pain point. So uh, we've raised about $65 million here over the last two two years. Uh, we've done over 120 plus properties, either you know live or under contract or somewhere in the pipeline, and you know we're continuing to to blaze our own journey here and have some fun. That's awesome. I'm going to unpack a lot of what you just said and kind of break that down for our listeners. Um, so first and foremost, the company name is Tech Vester. 
Um, obviously, we know why now. There's a lot of background there on the technical side of building processes and systems um, to really make things super efficient. And I think any any new company that doesn't have that is going to struggle significantly. So you guys are already leaps and bounds uh, in front of what I'll call any startup um, investment company out there. So kudos for that. Um, now, you talked about the fund or the syndication. And when we talk about funds and syndications uh, with clients, we always like to make sure that we know who's running these. Because when you take the collateralized aspect out of owning the collateral directly in your IRA, and now you are owning the investment that is being managed by others, the management of those others is paramount um, to the investor as they're doing their due diligence. Can you tell us, you'd mentioned that you are a co-founder. Who else is helping to run the company? Give us a little background there as well. Yeah. So Sabrina Guler is a, one of my other co-founders. She was ex-Apple. She built a, and led one of the first AirPods projects. She's fantastic. Sabrina leads all our design, our operations. Basically, once a property closes, getting that property renovated, uh, designed and live and operational and handed off to our property management team um, is a huge component, right? She she brings the property to life, right? And yeah. she, you know, she's been an Airbnb super host for, you know, many, many years, even well before we started TechFester. Um, and then we, you know, Sam Silverman, um, our head of capital markets, he's been in the space for um, geez, probably four or five, six years now. And Sam is fantastic because he comes from that, you know, kind of traditional New York upbringing, right? Capital markets. Um, but mm -hmm. he himself owned his own short-term rental. He's been in multifamily uh, for a long time. And Sam leads us on our capital markets and our feeder fund uh, type programs that we work with. Essentially, how do we raise capital at scale and efficiently? Right, yeah. because we are in the business of you know raising equity, um, and we we help investors get into this space passively. So we're the three general partners, but most importantly, we're supported by, in my opinion, the best possible team in the space. One thing we've taken a you know our pride in is getting the best possible talent to operate these properties because we believe short term rentals are really more business wrapped around in real estate than real estate wrapped around business. Right. And so it's yeah, really important said. that the people executing, you know, are, are very much top tier. And so we invest heavily in people. And, you know, that's something we very much believe in. Good to know. And I think that's very helpful for our listeners to hear because ultimately we are talking about a funder syndication. Um, the second tier to that is the actual investment itself. And yeah, there's kind of a little elephant in the room. So let's let's talk about it. I mean, is Airbnb a bust? Are we at the end of this or are we at the beginning or will it ever go away? What is your perspective on it? And, and tell me the pros and the cons of what we're hearing out there and what the headlines are saying. And how long is this going to last? So I think first and foremost, I think where the Airbnb bust rumors started, I think started from an individual or a company that I think many people should probably realize have an interest in you being fearful of Airbnb because they do yes. Airbnb consulting as, an, as a heads up. I think it's important to understand where data comes from. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely think that there has been a softening of the marketplace, right? And primarily driven by an increase in supply, right, of short-term rentals. And I do think you're going to see the bottom 10, 20, 30% of Airbnb operators and hosts struggle with occupancy mm -hmm. and revenue. And, you know, did they buy bad properties at bad rates, depending yeah. on where they're at, or overpriced yeah. assets, and you find themselves underwater. But I do mm -hmm. think it's important to remember that not, not all supplies created equal, right? So for example, yeah. you know, 
one of the markets we're in has a 32,000 Airbnbs in that marketplace, right? And when you look at that number, you're like, wow, that's a 40, 50, 60% year over year increase. And you would be like, wow, yeah. everything's going to go to shit. Um, but the reality is if you actually look at the type of product that we buy in that market, we only compete with about 250 of them. So when you actually dissect the data, right, and you look at what kind of supply is hitting the market, yeah. right, and that's just on supply, not to mention who's operating it, right? We have a we're vertically integrated, right? So we can we operate our own homes, we design our own homes, we have a ton of data that we bring in house that digests and ingests, and you know software algorithms to make these things better. We design better than your traditional IKEA mom and pop operator. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we do with better pricing and revenue management, little things like we list on multiple channels like Airbnb and VRBO. Almost 50% of hosts don't do that. Right. Yeah. Or for example, we allow pets at our Airbnbs. More than 50% of hosts don't allow that. And yeah. yet that's the, one of the number one search things on Airbnb. So you start thinking about the wins here and it's the people who mm -hmm. operate well, not necessarily the asset itself, which is why kind of going back to this theory of Airbnb bust. I think it's about betting on the right operator and not the right asset, right? Nine times out of 10, the operator will show that an asset can do better than what it can. And mm -hmm. in fact, we tested this. So there's a market we were in right now and we bought two homes, two blocks away. One mm -hmm. of them, uh, we designed both. We amenitized both of them, right? Kind of very similar to typical profile for that market. And one of them, we handed off to a third party property manager and operator and one we did in house. We did three X the revenue in the first year. Interesting. Right. Now, this was intentional you did this. This was absolutely intentional. We didn't tell a single soul about it. The one that we bought, that was the, the one that was third-party property management, we bought with our own capital, right? Okay. Not not any investor capital, right? Yeah. Um, because we wanted to test how could we do versus the, com the competition. Well, right? that had Very to be painful <laughs> to you know, watch that happen. Uh, to be honest with you, it's a property that we're looking to sell right now, right? Oh. Um, and the primary reason is they almost ran it to the ground, right? Wow. And we, the reason we were willing to, you know, it's, it's gonna be like $150,000 loss for us, but it's probably some of the best marketing dollars we've ever spent for ourselves. Because, Absolutely. you know, we're, we were willing to go put our money where our mouth is, right? Um, and the first thing that we learned is we wanted to be your, your average owner. The average owner doesn't pay attention to what the property manager is doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the whole point of being passive. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we weren't going to be there telling them to do everything day in and day out. We weren't going to be that minuscule micromanager of an owner, because if we were doing that anyways, why wouldn't we just manage ourselves? Right. Mm -hmm. So we kind of let them run it and they ran it, in my opinion, fairly to the ground. Couldn't do well in revenue, didn't keep up with upkeep. You know, the guest experience was lacking. You know, they weren't really using dynamic pricing as well as we were. And, you know, when you look at our numbers versus theirs, it's very obvious who operated well. And this is the same asset two blocks away. Yeah. Same bedroom count, same amenities, very similar design, all those types of things, right? So, you know, does the buying the right asset, is that super critical? Of course. Don't get me wrong. Real estate type yeah. of local buying quality assets mm -hmm. is important, but who's operating it to your point, Carrie? Yeah. Ten times more important. Absolutely. That's a great segment of of market research. So take me through the process of what markets are you looking at and why? Let's start there. Like there, there's got to be some some specifics that you're looking for before you even look at product in those markets. So are there identifiable markets you're willing to share with us? Or is that kind of part of the trade secret here? How how do you identify markets? So there are definitely some quote secrets in terms of what we do. Uh, but to kind of peel back the curtain as much as we can is 
you know, we're a fund, right, or a syndication. So we look at a diversified set of things, right? Um, even if that means sometimes a lower return to offset things like seasonality. So mm-hmm. when you buy an Airbnb, if you just own one, you're typically subject to a ton of seasonality, right? Asset seasonality, weather seasonality, mm-hmm. avatar or guest seasonality. Um, yeah. In the fund structure, right? We have properties on the West Coast, the East Coast, the Midwest, coastal, summers, winters, falls, right? So we have this way more balanced blend. Um, in fact, many of our investors call it an STR ETF, right? Because it's a diversified portfolio. <laughs> like it. that kind of, yeah. you, know, you, got, you, you got your financials and your core and your value add and your tech, you know, all those types of things, right? So for us, we look at all those things, but some of the markets we're in today are, you know, places like Scottsdale, Arizona, places like the Poconos, places like, you know, Clearwater, um, the Blue Ridge Mountains, Memphis, Tennessee. And when you think about all these markets, there are some things that kind of differentiate themselves is you have, um, you know, Metro, right? Scottsdale-ish, Memphis-ish, mm-hmm. uh, Clearwater-ish, and you also have Destination-ish, which is going to be your Poconos, your Blue Ridges, uh, your Panama City beaches, those types of things. And each of those markets, uh, what we've identified is, you know, through our software, which we underwrite over 100,000 properties a month, 96% of the time, the deal sucks on the front end. So what are we looking for, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're looking typically, the first thing is price to rent ratio. We're looking for what does physical real estate supply in this market sell for and what can we do in terms of annual revenue? And that number, usually what we want to see is 17 to 21% or better, right? Depending on, you know, the level of seasonality, what are we willing to accept to offset some other risk that we believe in our profile? Um, and assuming that that works, the next thing we want to understand is, can we buy enough of that physical real estate supply in that market? Because for us, density matters, right? We don't want to own one in a market. We want to own 20 we want to own 30 because you yeah. unlock operational efficiencies over time, mm-hmm. right? Maintenance in house, like all these types of things that you can start to really drive. But, um, you know, it starts high level from there. Of course, you have to factor in regulation. You have to factor in, can you get lending in that state? And you, mm-hmm. you have to factor in what are the risks of, um, you know, whether is it, you know, flood insurance? Is it in, our, in, a, in a flood zone? Is it off the coast of Florida? Is it in, you know, the middle of nowhere? What's resale value, right? Like these are all things that we think about in terms of hedge, right? In terms of risk yeah. profile, but you know, high level, it's can we operate well? What does supply look like in that current market? And also, you know, going back to our comment on supply, what does supply and demand look like of the type of product we're buying? What we find often is every market is actually fairly investable, but it's only if you understand the very specific nuances of that market, which is why before we enter any market. We've been market mapping it is what we call for months, if not years. I mean, for example, before we entered Clearwater, we were mapping that market for over seven months. And what I mean by that is we ingest data on both Airbnb and like short-term rental demand and supply, Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. as physical real estate supply and cross map it together. And so we can actually look at like what are the ebbs and flows over a period of time and ask ourselves, is this market investable? Right. And so those are things that we look at on on a day in and day out basis. Perfect. That gives us a good perspective of market. Now let's talk about, we've all, every person that's listening has probably booked an Airbnb. I mean, or tried it or or some form of it, right? And so the amenities, when you walk into an Airbnb, I know within seconds if I'm going to stay there again. Seconds of walking in. Talk to me about the amenity side, because I think this is one thing that many hosts just completely miss the mark on. How have you guys perfected this mark 
And what has that mean to the overall value of your portfolio? I cannot stress the importance of what you just said, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, and the the reality is we we have two two times you really when we can lock in if this guest is going to come back. The first time is when they're searching on Airbnb in the user journey, right? Where they come across the things that they're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Or even more importantly, the things that they didn't know they were looking for, exactly. right? Those amenities that they see, the photos, and they're like, wow, I need to stay there, right? There's a reason we get twice as many views, nearly 25% more clicks, right? And 20% more bookings into our properties than the average property in our comp set across all our markets. Now, when you walk into a home, to your point, you know, just like when you look at a resume, right? It's the saying says you have seven seconds, right? You know, within seconds, if this is a home you're going to want to stay in, how it smells, how it yeah. feels, what it looks like. Is it clean? In fact, when most Airbnb guests actually walk into a home, they're not looking for what's right. They're looking for what's wrong, right? right. And so right. understanding the psyche is important. The check-in process, right? Like with mm -hmm. those things easy, are, is the host responsive? But, you know, coming over to the amenities, this is where we spend the bulk amount of our money and where most people, like you mentioned, really cheap out, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and this is an advantage we have, obviously, being a capital intensive fund, right, where we raise money and do these things because these things aren't cheap. But we purpose design and purpose build. We've put in golf simulators, bunk bed slides, um, mini putt, pickleball courts, basketball courts, custom fireplaces, you know, we're not decking it out to where it doesn't, you know, meet the avatar. We're meeting the avatar's needs, right? We have a Barbie house in Scottsdale, which was done well before the Barbie movie came out, right? Um, but of course, well, that was intuitive. It, it was intuitive. You know, I think that was the right place, right time, right? It's Barbie inspired, Barbie themed. And, you know, in, in each market, the same amenities aren't the right ones to put in, right? So everything's yeah. hyper local. In Scottsdale, for example, we literally build resort-like backyards, right? Pickleball mm -hmm. courts, basketball courts, mini putt, like not just one yeah. mini putt, I'm talking like a mini putt course, mm -hmm. right? You have jungle gym for the kids, you have the hot tub, you have the pool, you have you know an incredibly well-designed interior. Um, in somewhere like Clearwater, we're building bunk bed slides and game rooms for kids and you know indoor playgrounds, right? Because of the heat and the humidity at times, like. We're thinking about these things because we're also the same avatar that our guests typically are, right? They're typically traveling. We typically are bigger groups. They typically have kids, right? These are things yeah. that we understand very well. And we've narrowed in on that niche and we design and amenitize for that avatar. The reason most owners actually don't do this, and this is a great problem in the industry. In fact, probably in my opinion, the biggest problem in the industry is the average Airbnb owner does not build or amenitize or operate for their guest, They build and amenitize for themselves because they're using it as a second home or something that they're going to want to go to. And that's great if that's yeah. the core use. But the yeah. second you do that, you've already disconnected from building the ideal product for the person who's coming here because right. the person who's coming here may not be you. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. in our case, we've removed emotion completely and it's all logic. It's who's coming how do we build the right product and right design for them? How do we provide them the right amenities? And how do we capitalize on that demand? Yeah, that is huge. What does that mean for your return uh, clients? What percentage of your clients yeah. return back to your Airbnbs? And, and primarily, it's because of that. I mean, if we're all being honest with ourselves, I will go back to the same place two, three, four times if what I am being provided, it, I, I, 
what if I didn't even get a chance to finish the nine hole <laughs> little budding green, yeah. right? Or, you know, we didn't get a chance to do that because we were focused on another amenity that was there. I'm going to go back and re-experience that, that joy again. So what do you have for, for repeat clients? So that's something that isn't easily tracked within most PMSs, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't comment, you know, ethically and honestly about that, right? Yeah. What I can tell you is one of the most common pieces of feedback we get, um, whether it's in our reviews or guests reaching out to us is, I never left the house because I didn't feel like I needed to, right? And it's yeah. really weird when you say that because when people think about Airbnb, like, oh, I'm going to go to San Diego. So therefore, I'm going to stay in an Airbnb. You're usually going to San Diego to do something in San Diego, right? And happen, yes. you just need accommodation, right? You just need a place yeah. to stay, yeah. right? Rest your head. And what we're finding is our guests are going to quote, you know, insert city here. And while they may have something to do in that city, they're like, I don't even have to leave, <laughs> right? Yeah. I can go outside and my family and my group can have a ton of fun. And there's a pickleball court right in my backyard and a yeah. pool and a hot tub and mini putt and disc golf and outdoor bowling and Inside, there's an arcade game for my uh, for my kids, and there's a movie theater, and there's a big, beautiful couch, and enough seating at the dining table for 14 people. Why do I need to go anywhere? Yeah, you know, you know yeah. that's what we're seeing more and more. But that's okay. the exact type of intent that we're doing in our design and our operations that is allowing that individual to be like, "Wow, I want to come back." To your point, we've had people all of a sudden, you know, in East Coast, and say, "Wow, I didn't know you owned properties on the West Coast." Right. Yeah. And therefore, like, you know, naturally you start to see that cross brand kind of come in and be, they, they want that quality control. All right. How do you handle um, the weather? You know, I'm sure you're in some locations where in the summer, the humidity is just stifling. And I'm sure there's some locations, um, you know, in, in vice versa in the winter where it's just maybe it's too cold. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to throw that out there. And how do you overcome the obstacles of that ebb and flow that's happening with the different properties? So, you know, what's nice for us is really a couple things, right? We have seasonality baked in. And with the great thing with the portfolio approach is we build a diversified approach for exactly that, right? Is to have, you know, lower risk of seasonality. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something earlier about amenities being the number one thing, right? So amenities often can drive significant occupancy in low season, right? Like if it's in a winter market and you don't have a hot tub, like why? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And most owners won't go put in the 10 grand to wire and buy a hot tub and do those types of things and have to deal with hot tub cleaning and all that, even though they're going to get 25, 30 grand more in annual revenue. It's logic, but most owners won't actually go do that. Um, you know, you have to also understand how you're driving for occupancy. For example, your pricing and your revenue management strategies need to be different depending on the season. And people think season and they say, oh, there's four seasons, you know, during the year. We think season, and I can tell you in most of our markets, we have over 60 seasonal profiles per year oh. per market. Because we view seasons as very different. We view seasons as weekends in high season, weekends in low season, weekdays in peak season, weekdays in non-peak season, right? Are there local events coming? Are there non-local events coming? And guess what? If the events are already here, you're already too late, yeah. right? So pricing and demand needs to happen. Is it seven days out, 30 days out, 60 days out, five months out, eight months out, 12 months out, yeah. right? And if you're not thinking about these things years in advance at times, mm -hmm. you're already too late. You've already left money on the table, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, another thing that we really optimize for is revenue. And I think this is something that's not talked about enough in the space, right? Revenue is the output of your daily rate, what you charge and occupancy. Mm -hmm. Most owners optimize for occupancy. 
because there's this fallacy or this fear that if my place isn't booked, that I'm not getting enough revenue, not making enough money. But if my place is booked, at least someone's using it, I feel better. And that's a non-financial way to look at it. It's a non-linear approach. And you're really probably taking unprofitable bookings, yep. right? And that's usually as a result of your inaction that you took on revenue management to begin with. So mm-hmm. that that little tweak right there helps us make sure we push. I mean, even in our low markets, low season, right? We're still getting 70, 75% occupancy, right? Like peak season, high months, we're getting 85, 90% occupancy. The variation isn't that high. Right. Yeah. And, you know, looking at a traditional owner, they'll be at, you know, 70%, 75% in peak season and like 30% in low season. And like, why is the variation so high? Right. Yeah. It's because they don't have the right amenities. They don't have the pricing strategy. And, you know, it's a mom and pop industry where, you know, we've kind of, you know, perfected, as I like to call it, or continuing to perfect the operational side. But it's because we really care and think about the best. Right. Yeah. We yeah. were delivering a product that someone wants to actually stay in, regardless if it's snowing raining super hot humid or not right and yeah. people will continue to go travel and like some people look at it and it's a deal it's low season right yeah. like they want to go travel why not but we've already so provided them an experience that they can you know really hone in on so why do you think that and i know we have some investors out there that probably have a rental property or airbnb or however they're utilizing their real estate through their retirement accounts why are some successful and and some aren't. What are what are give me like the top three successes and the top three non-successes of not being in a fund? You know, I think the first thing is success is subjective depending on who you're asking, right? Because yeah. some people will buy a, an Airbnb for certain reasons and they don't really care if they make money. They're like, you know, if I break even or even lose a little bit of money, it was still worth it, right? It was better yeah. than some some alternative. I think for us, if we were to compare to a fund versus a non-fund to the majority of the market, the first thing you have to ask yourself is time, right? Mm -hmm. I think that by far and the biggest thing is, you know, success to me is when I can gain something without necessarily losing my time to it, right? And I think that's a huge advantage of a fund compared to an Airbnb where, you know, it's quite a bit of work, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. you're paying for it either in management costs or you're paying for it in your own time and really however you value your time. Um, The other thing that I, you know, a couple other things in terms of success is, are you the expert at what you're doing, right? I'm a firm believer in do what you do really well and continue to do it. And the things you don't do well, you should have other people do. And I think that's a great way to like lead in life. And I think a lot of Airbnb hosts are trying to do and grasp a bunch of things, hospitality, renovation, management, maintenance, yeah. all these like little things where, you know, they're a software engineer by day, but, you know, maintenance manager by night. And it's not necessarily <laughs> the, you know, their best, their best strength in terms yes. of what they're doing. Yes. Um, and I will say the one positive I will say in a non-fund is, and this isn't tax advice, but in a non-fund, you know, your Airbnb losses, meaning your, your depreciation and things like mm-hmm. that can actually offset your W-2 income. Um, yeah. And in a fund structure, because it's passive, it doesn't offset your, your W-2 income. So if you're investing for the pure tax loss, which I also have very strong opinions on why you shouldn't do that, but that's my yeah. opinion. Um, <laughs> you know, people shouldn't just invest for t- to not pay taxes. They have exactly. a bigger, yeah. bigger pool of mess than, than they start. I agree. But, but uh, if that's your, your mojo, then that might be a win for you. Right. Yeah. You know? And then of course, if you're going to use the property, it's like a family home, you're going to use it two months out of the year and it's going to break even and you don't want anyone staying in there. And 
really that's like not a perfect guess and however you define perfect guess and not success to you, then great. But if you're going after optimal returns and an exchange of time and value of money in exchange for that time, I think most of the time syndications like us will win. Yeah. Well, it's a good point that you bring up um, because one of the things that I should mention since we are on the PTC point of view is that individuals are investing, utilizing their retirement accounts. And in an IRA, if you have an Airbnb or a rental property, you cannot take advantage of staying in it because that is considered to be a self-dealing um, transaction where you are acting in the capacity of taking somewhat of advantage of an investment that you have in your IRA. And that's a prohibited transaction. And so if you are doing that, and I know, you know, some just don't even know that they're doing it, right? It's just a, it's an, it's an act that is unknown, but if it becomes known to a custodian that's holding your qualified funds, it is a disqualifying event of your entire IRA. So it is so hard. I mean, imagine, you know, you buy this beautiful condo um, in Waikiki and that one week out of the year, you want to use it. it. You can't, you can't do that. And you know how hard it is not to do that, especially if that's your first rental property, not to use it that one week because it's harmless, right? It's harmless. Um, it's actually detrimental <laughs> to not use it because it could cause significant tax consequences to doing that. Um, so the fund environment of having a, a diversified portfolio of Airbnb product might be a better alternative option for you so that you are not arm twisted <laughs> into potentially using that property even for one day. Uh, you cannot do it. You also cannot be the property manager. And, you know, like we have just heard, it, it's hard. It's hard to have the, the full-time nine-to-five job and then trying to be checking somebody in, you know, the, the next morning after you just got off at, you know, 11 o'clock that night, right? Um, it, it's tough. Those Those things are very, very difficult, but you also cannot be the property manager if it is owned within your self-directed IRA. Again, you are participating in a benefit of an investment that is held in a tax-advantaged account. So just keep that in mind um, as we kind of go through this process, because we are actually working with Tech Investor as one of our company partners, and you know clients are utilizing through their self-directed IRA the opportunity to invest with Tech Investor. And so as you think about these pros and cons of what you're investing in with your self-directed IRA and the diversification that Tech Investor is providing in both location, asset type, um, throughout the entire country, uh, the management of it, uh, knowing that the client's experience in their product is top-notch, these are things that you want to consider. Having the opportunity to meet to meet you today, having the opportunity to hear about his management staff. These are all due diligence components that you need to be doing. Um, so please make sure that you are doing that. Um, let's let's move into a, a, another topic. And sorry to go on the compliance uh, soapbox there for a second, but I do think it's an important factor that individuals need to consider as far as the pros and the cons as to how you're investing in a potential Airbnb or rental property. So 
As far as, you know, kind of looking ahead and trends and and what you're seeing in the real estate market, do you mind if I take you off the beaten path for just a minute? And, you know, Airbnb is real estate. I mean, it is real estate and what's happening uh, with the market and what do you think is going to happen with the market as it pertains to real estate and these rising interest rates and, you know, maybe they're going to come back down, maybe they're not. What kind of impact is that having on your overall investment strategy? You know, shifting over to real estate and what I think is going on the market, I, I do think that the market's in probably one of the weirdest spots that I can remember. Um, and, and the main reason for this is you have such a lack of supply. You know, people locked into significant rate locks uh, with interest rates on a, on a low level, sub three, sub four um, percent. Not enough building happening, but also you have a ton of demand for home ownership, but not enough ability to buy, right? You have 8% interest rates these days, right? It's not, uh, it's not easy. And that's why investment real estate has been, I think, taking off a little bit more recently. But for us, you know, we're in a bit of a unique situation, right? We, we buy properties, you know, add a lot of value to them. And then we're yielding significantly more cash flow than your average long-term rental. We're like, we're not net negative uh, and we never have negative leverage, right? To date. So Negative leverage is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can lead to bad things faster, right? Um, And I think that's something to think about. But the market, I think, is going to, in my opinion, most likely have a soft landing. That's my perspective. And and here's why. Um, I'm actually seeing firsthand across a dozen markets or so right now, properties are heating up in price just a tad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that if rates come, you know, people have to remember like five, six percent interest rates are actually very normal in the historical world of things. You know, getting sub five, sub four, sub three, sub twos, not a normal thing. And <laughs> not even realistic. Five, not even realistic. And if you see, if you see five, six percent interest rates again, I would be damned if you know these home prices did not shoot up because people the competition would just be a frenzy overnight. Yes. That's my perspective. And so, you know, our thesis is we want to hoard real estate today and refinance tomorrow, yep. right? Um, yep. Buy as much as we can. We can't control the rate, right? We can we can optimize for yield. We can do those types of things, operate responsibly and, you know, over time refinance down. But for a lot of consumers, you have to ask yourself if you're getting into the game today for investment real estate, especially if you're doing it yourself, Mm-hmm. What's your strategy to to ensure that you're not going underwater pretty quickly? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think you also see hyper local tendencies with real estate. I think some markets will fail faster, some won't. Just naturally, right? We've seen everything from Phoenix to Vegas to Florida, right? For a variety of reasons, you have home insurance costs in Florida that are a concern. Same thing on the West Coast in California. You have yeah. Vegas that's historically boomed and busted. Right, yep. depending on what's happened, um, and it's it, you know real estate is not the same everywhere you go. Even the type of product you buy isn't the same everywhere you go. So, I think we'll see a little bit of variation. But in my opinion, I think we'll see a little bit of a soft landing unless rate, you know rates can come down. You know, even if rates cut by half overnight, you know, I think that would cause yeah. a frenzy. Yeah, but I don't think that would be a negative frenzy for current homeowners. I think prospective homeowners would be a yeah a challenge. Yeah, if if you're if you're going with the long 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 game, um, <laughs> those prices when the interest rates come down, I would agree with with what you're saying and and others are saying in in the industry that uh, we're definitely going to see an uptick on the cost. Um, and as those upticks on cost happen, I I hope 
to never experience an 08 uh, again in my lifetime. And I don't think we will. Um, but and I do think there is going to be some some form of a soft landing here. But um, hopefully, if you have the opportunity to take advantage at today's prices, uh, I, I do think there's going to be some tremendous opportunity in doing that because at some point, I, I, I think we know that the interest rates are going to come down slightly, a little bit, half, like you said. Um, so, you know, be in it before that happens because yeah, <laughs> that, be that frenzy and, is a coming. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, the, be, being in it, and I think just to kind of comment on that, it's I think we we as a society or as a, as a government, I think we positioned ourselves in a really poor position, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, we're, we're in a hole that I don't know if there's a right way to get out of, yeah. right? Um, you know, whether you keep digging it or whether you get out of it, you know, <laughs> it's both, uh, it's both got repercussions that are pretty substantial. Um, yeah. You know, you have, you have tons of stimulus, tons of printing and, you know, you know, there's supply and demand. It's like a rubber band, right? You know, Absolutely. you can only stretch so far and, you know, one thing will happen, something, you know, a, a break in that rubber band will likely occur. And that break may not necessarily be a bad thing. It's just no. a break will happen. But, yeah, you know, you, you're talking about two types of, of things, right? Unlimited money printing, which is really easy to do, right? Yeah. And then you have another thing, which is unlimited home building, which is incredibly impossible to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you can't meet those supply and demand imbalances, I mean, you know, history will tell us that naturally things will break. And oftentimes consumers aren't the beneficiaries of that. This is so true. But one thing is for sure, we're going to keep traveling. We're going to set money aside for vacations. I, I think, you know, I don't know if you've read any of these articles, but the amount of time that we spend planning vacations far outweighs the amount of time we, we spend planning for retirement. And so, <laughs> yeah, I don't think your industry is going anywhere. That's why I was asking those questions in the beginning, because, boy, you hear some crazy stuff out there. Um, but to be in the industry, see what's going on, see some of the successes, see the pitfalls, um, you couldn't have done a better job explaining that for us. So we do appreciate that. So how do how do we become an investor with you? How how does this process work? Um, who's the demographic? Uh, what's the minimum investment? Kind of walk me through that process if you would mind. Yeah, so we're a Reg D five hundred six C, and the reason that that's important is that we only work with what's known as an accredited investor, and you have to meet that with either income. Uh, requirements. So if you're single, that's 200 grand or more per year for the last two years, or if you're jointly in file tax uh, together, that's 300 grand or more per year for the last two years, or you have a million dollar net worth outside of your primary residence, right? Um, or, you know, in rare instances, hold specific licenses. So the reason I share that is, you know, we are uh, essentially registered to be exempt, <laughs> essentially from regulation. Yeah. Um, and that's what a 506C is. Um, we also welcome investors from all walks of life, right? Just to be very mm -hmm. clear, there is no specific demographic we go after. We have investors who are 25 years old and investors who are 75 years old and everything in yeah. between, um, you know, from everywhere from Kansas to California to Texas uh, to, to New England, right? So it's uh, we have everything in between. Our average investor is going to be a high net worth earner who is looking to diversify, has probably already made another investment in the past in yeah. real estate or equities. We're usually not someone's first, that's first stop because of how alternative we can be. Mm -hmm. And minimum is going to be 25 grand. Uh, you know, we have investments from 25 grand ranging all the way up to 5 million, right? In terms of what people invest. And, you know, it's really your comfort in terms of, you know, getting used to what we do and how we do things and your level of uh, risk tolerance towards our asset class and how we think about things. 
Um, it's a projected four to six year hold, but you know, do understand that nothing necessarily goes to business plan early ever. Um, so we may hold uh, longer, we may hold shorter. Uh, we're positioned to hold forever if we have to, right? Mm -hmm. um, but of course, we're we're here to optimize for outcomes, right? Whether that's going to be cash flow or appreciation, and you know, our focus of asset off is exclusively short term rentals. We're vertically integrated, and it's one of those things that we do really, really well. We do one thing really, really well, and it's short-term rental acquisition, operation, and management of those properties for our limited partners. So we welcome you to check us out at techfester.com if it's something you're open to. Uh, talk to our team, learn about the industry, um, You know, perhaps take Carrie's advice and plan to your vacation for more than longer than your retirement, right? <laughs> um, and uh, see if we can help. What do these returns look like? So if I invest $100,000, walk me through what what should I expect annually? Um, are these payments coming to me monthly, quarterly, annually? Uh, how, how do you process the income? So, you know, everything I'm about to share is obviously projected and target returns. Uh, so not actuals. So, yeah. you know, on 100 grand, you're going to roughly be looking at 8 to 12% cash on cash per year. So roughly eight dollars to $12,000 in annual income. Um, we do that on a quarterly basis, meaning quarterly distributions. Uh, okay. The reason we do that is uh, with Airbnbs, you've got to close the books in a little bit of a different way than traditionally long-term rentals and those types of yeah. things. And you know, generally over a five-year period, you're looking at about a 2x on your money. Everything is relative. So I ask your, you know, if you're an investor, ask yourself this, if the outcome was a 2x in five years or a 2x in 10 years, the reality is what's relative to what's going on in the world, right? Our interest rates where we are, are we in, you know, knock on wood, World War Three? Is it like another COVID pandemic, right? Yeah. Like I think we're naturally affected by the market, just like anyone in real estate is. And anyone who tells you otherwise, probably not someone I would trust because markets affect everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Why did you decide to introduce um, your product to individuals that have qualified funds or IRAs? We started getting a lot of interest and demand from folks who were saying, hey, I have this thing, right? And they have this IRA. And in fact, one of the most popular questions we get is people thinking that they can invest from their current employer's uh, <laughs> IRA, right? And yeah. it's even an educating thing for us to you know, help people understand is that's not necessarily a self-directed one or one that you have mm -hmm. checkbook control or if it's through Fidelity or Schwab, that's likely, you know, your employer has already dictated what <laughs> is possible to do with those things. And, you know, when we when we meet someone and they're like, oh, I just switched jobs, you know, three, six, 12 months ago, one of the first questions we ask them is, well, did you roll over your 401k or your IRA or these types of things to your new employer? And if they told us no, one thing we actually encourage them is, you know, you should consider not doing that, right? Because mm -hmm. it takes away control from you as an individual. And I think you're seeing a shift in, human behavior and in really choice. I think this actually is part of our thesis with even Airbnbs and travel and mobility and, you know, being able to go anywhere and work on our own schedules and contrarian type takes and approaches. I think yeah. that actually applies a lot to the world of self-directed IRAs, right? Why should our employer tell us what we can invest in? Why are we limited by the handcuffs of certain things when really it's a, it's a free world, it's a free capital markets experience. If you simply just take one detour left and give yourself that ability. So, you know, we wanted to seek out a partner that was, you know, the best at what they do and preferred trust is simply one of those. Uh, Carrie, you've done a fantastic job of building your business. And, you know, I've had the privilege of getting to know you slowly here over the last few weeks and months, but, yeah. um, you know, pe more people should have access to this. Um, yeah. And if we can be a part of that journey, you know, it's also good for business, right? At the mm -hmm. end of the day. Absolutely. 
All right. I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, you mentioned it probably a few minutes ago, but how do individuals get a hold of you to learn more? If they need to even learn more, this was phenomenal. Um, but to learn more about how to invest with you. You can check out techfester.com. There's a big, beautiful purple button that says request invite up top. Uh, you can book a call with someone on our team where we'll walk you through what we do, how we do it, send you a bunch more data than you probably thought existed in this world about short-term rentals. And if it's something that is a good fit for you, your risk tolerance and your strategy, we'd love to have you. Um, and if not, we'd be happy to shoot the shit, take a look at our beautiful properties or stay in them. Um, we'd be happy to educate you on that stuff as well. We look forward to having many more podcasts and working with you for a very long time. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Carrie. Thanks for joining us for another episode of PTC Point of View, where retirement savers meet alternative investments. Know someone who's struggling with a retirement strategy? Tell them about our show. Can't wait for the next episode to learn more? Visit our website at preferredtrustcompany.com or give us a call at 888-990-7892.